0: So networking is really important. Uh, I think grad schools tend to be a little more informal than undergrad, especially in these programs because they're more closely knit, they're a lot smaller so you can actually reach out to individual professors and program directors and they'll get back to you.
1: everyone, thanks for tuning in to Nodes of Design. To help support our mission spread knowledge, we have a very special guest on today's episode. Let's welcome Derek May, who is a Lead Designer at 3Play Media in Boston and also a part-time graduate student pursuing Masters in Human Factors in Information Design at Bentley University. In his spare time, Derek runs an agency called Humitea Design, which specializes in user experience consulting and also he's extremely passionate about bridging the gap between the design and boot camps and help young designers to land their first UI UX job through his side project called handoff in this episode Derek had shared great insights on design education we had discussed on how design education is shaped between attending a boot camp or going to a design school and what are the various teachings and opportunities that you get after you graduate from a design school or after attending a boot camp and we also spoke on what are the various procedures that a student must follow to apply for a bachelor's or a master's program in design in the later part we discussed on what are the various ways in which one can select the right school that fits for their passion and serves them better hope you guys enjoy this episode and on every friday we release new episodes with different creative leaders from around the world to help you better understand different concepts related to design so don't forget to tune in into notes of design every friday with that being said happy designing everyone Hi, Derek. Welcome to Nodes of Design. It's a pleasure hosting you today on our
0: show. Hey, it's great to be here. Thanks, Thanks for having me on. So Derek, how's your day going? My day's going really, really good. Uh, I'm located here in in Boston, um, on the East Coast and in the United States. Um, And we're definitely reaching the peak of summer. So starting to feel the heat outside.
1: Derek, if you could give a brief about yourself to our audience out there.
0: Yeah, so I can give a quick intro. Um, I'm a UX designer who's been working in the industry for around half a decade at this point. I transitioned into the industry from a software engineering background, going to undergraduate uh, to college for uh, a combination of things so for math computer science and business Um, and ultimately when I came out of uh, undergrad I didn't really know what I wanted to do so I started out working as a software developer for a financial services company here in Boston for around uh, two years or so and then I ultimately switched to my current role where I'm leading design uh, at a small startup that focuses on accessibility for uh, audio and video helping people um, take in and consume media if uh, they're low vision blind or uh, or hard of hearing Um, um, so re- really, really excited to be, be on the show and kind of provide my perspective on UX and design.
1: Thank you so much, Derek. So what was your journey into design and
0: what are your tips to the beginners out there now? Yeah, so I, I tell this to a lot of people that design is one of those things that I don't I, I don't think many people start out in the industry directly, especially if you're a UX designer, you kind of pick up UX over, over the years, um, you find interest in it, and then you either attend some type of bootcamp yourself self-teach yourself, some of those concepts and and the theory behind what you're building. And then a lot of the skills you actually pick up on the job. So for me, my transition into design was really, uh, I guess, more natural. And I hear this a lot from the people I talk to in the industry where since they were young, they always had some type of creative um, side of them. Um, So they always wanted to practice graphic design or they were building websites for different clients or for their schools or I guess local nonprofits in their community. Um, And then that materialized for me, um, I would say starting middle school, in high school. I had this, uh, I, t- I had taken some web design classes. Um, I had built some websites for, I guess, uh, companies in my local town. And then ultimately in college, I continued freelancing for a lot of clients. Uh, fast forward to today, um, I'm doing my master's right now uh, at Bentley University, studying in the Human Factors in Information Design program. And I'm happy to provide a little more insight on uh, formal design schools. But I also went through a design bootcamp at General Assembly. So I do, I have seen all sides the spectrum where you're going through uh, the self-teaching process, you're going on sites like Udemy or Coursera or EDX and finding classes to, to self-learn from. Um, and then you also have people who are going through these more formal programs such as General Assembly Boot Camps, um, career foundry and then um, even master's programs which I, I can talk more about and then uh, yeah and then i can provide a little more input on um i guess what i recommend for juniors in the industry as well so for juniors that are coming into the industry especially during this tough economic climate um there's a few things that i would i would probably do um to get into design so there's a lot of good free resources out there to to learn the hard skills of what you're building um or what you're learning and what, what you need to know in order to work in the industry so if you go online there's just a wealth of material some of it is paid some of it is free one of i think the best I guess, organizations out there that's putting good content out is probably Interaction Design Fa- Foundation. They have a lot of in-depth courses on a variety of different topics related to design. And their course material is really, really good and uh, solid. And that's actually how I learned some of my uh, skills, as well as some of the uh, underlying foundation when I first got started. Um, I think another part of it is just copying and look at, looking at what other people are doing. There, there's that whole adage that, that uh, good designers um, steal, great designers copy. And ultimately, I think, especially when you're first starting out in the industry, it's really good to look at other people's work and try to learn from it. So not stealing it, but ultimately looking at bits and pieces that you like, figuring out why you like those pieces and then copying them or, or keeping them for I guess safekeeping when you're working on a different project in the future. So that you can kind of pick and choose the best pieces from different projects and figure out how they fit into your project. Um, and then I would say the last piece is just really learning to network and reach out to people in your community and also building out a portfolio and uh, case studies that really speak to your skill set. Um, so for any juniors that are job hunting right now, I think it's really important that you're making the effort to go out and talk to new people, either other designers in the industry or hiring managers. I was actually just on a call the other day with someone else who had landed their first internship without any type of app- application. I just reached out to some, of some directors in the in their network and were able to land that first internship. So it, it's really all about kind of the soft skills in the, in the industry as well as any other industry as well. Just putting yourself out there and making sure that other people know who you are and what type of value can, you can bring to the table.
1: Thank you so much, Derek. So let's begin our today's topic on design schools and formal design education. So basically what made you pursue design school and how different was your experience in design? How did it shape you in the end?
0: Yeah, so I, I can speak a, a bit to that. So when it comes to, I guess, boot camps, I would say that there's different types of value that you can extract from these programs because I think they're all over the place right now. And what I mean by that is because so there's so many design boot camps that's hard to distinguish, especially for an uh, employer or a recruiter for them to figure out which boot camps are good and which ones are bad and to gauge a boot camp based off of face value or just the name is really hard you really have to go through the program and figure out whether or not it fits into your schedule uh whether the price is right for you whether people are actually landing jobs i think that's the most important part Um, and some of these programs will offer you uh, some type of payment program so that attending the school for free but ultimately when you come out of the program if you land any type of job you're going to have to pay back a certain percentage of your salary up to a certain cap um, and on, on the other side you also have boot camps where you're paying um, out of pocket and there's no job guarantee at the end um, so it, it really depends on what fits into your schedule there's part-time programs there's full, full-time programs um, when it comes to my master's program I, I think that's a completely different story I think the content there that I'm learning I'm halfway through the program right now um, I've talked to a lot of designers in that program who are who have come out and landed really really nice jobs uh, Ben Huggins from from YouTube he's one of the, the people who graduated from, from the program um, a while back and he he's been really really great uh, a resource for people trying to get into the industry He he's essentially gone off and founded off his own company but he was one of the people that uh, one of the alumni or school really uh, wanted to highlight because he had come from a, a background that wasn't super closely tied to design and then ultimately a job at YouTube and, and founded his own thing. Um, so, the process for uh, applying to grad school is a little more rigorous than applying to any type of design bootcamp program. And for me, I had to take the GRE. Um, and depending on which program you're applying to, it could be um, the GRE uh, versus a GMAT. And GMATs are, are usually more for business schools. Um, for me, I had the opportunity to take either or because it's the school I'm currently at, Bentley is a business school. Um, so the program is definitely more research heavy and more business heavy as opposed to more visually design oriented. So I had a list when I first started out of around 14 different schools. Uh, some of them were part-time programs, some of them were full-time programs, some of them were remote, some of them were in-person, um, some of them were certifications, some of them were masters, and the list goes on and on. Um, but I could essentially boil it down into a few different criteria that you sh- you guys should look at or people should look at when they're looking into a particular uh, degree, especially in higher education. So it really depends what type of program you want to apply to and what type of specialization you want to see yourself in moving forward. I think part of it is figuring out, I guess, long-term, what do you want to do? Do you want to be a UX researcher? Do you want to continue doing visual design? Do you want to kind of pick up more of the product management skills? Or do you even want some type of like technical ability to develop what you're designing? And for me, um, I kind of wanted more of a solid foundation in the business side of things. Um, so some of, to give you an example of some of the program names that I, I saw, I saw a master's in CS, so computer science, user-centered design, human factors, human-computer interaction. like These are some of the names that you'll see over and over again when you're applying to different programs. And some of them, you'll also have to weigh whether or not the degree or the certification you're coming out with is something that you think employers will want to see. So a master's, I would say, holds a little more value than a bachelor's or a certification because you're investing more time and effort in it. And it's a higher education program. So the course material and the stuff you're learning is definitely more rigorous and the first class in my in my program, I remember, just kicked my ass. It, it was it was hard. It was just a really really hard class. We had five papers that were really in depth, hard research papers where we had to go off, read twenty different research papers, and then come back and kind of quote them and, and, and fuse them into whatever you're you're writing about. And that was done over the course of I would say less than three months. So that was a really really rigorous uh, program. And I would say that a lot of the other classes have essentially followed suit um, because where we're learning a lot in the in the process. where are doing a lot of projects that we can put on our portfolio. And you're also networking and trying to juggle everything else at the same time. And for me, I'm, I'm working full-time at my nine to five, and then I'm doing my uh, master's program part-time after work. And that's part of the reason why it's taken me so long. Um, but I would say that's another factor that you can look at is whether or not you want to pursue it part-time on your own schedule, which provides you a little more flexibility. You can kind of space things out more versus if you want to kind of just drop everything. If you're uh, working right now, you you'll have to drop that Uh, you probably pick up some freelance on the side and that's what I've seen some people do but also a full-time program allows you to finish the program a lot faster and they gain access to a lot of resources that I would say part-time students don't have as much before I even started college I wanted to become a music major Um, probably pretty glad I didn't go down that track because I actually really suck at music. and I don't think I would have actually landed a job or anything after I graduated. Yeah. Um, so I'm glad now that I have uh, uh, two degrees, one in a combined joint concentration in math and computer science and the other one in just general management. And that's really allowed me to kind of flex both sides of my brain and learn about the business side of things really kind of picking up some of the terminology when it comes to working with product owners or, or i guess uh, project managers and then also learning the i guess more quantitative side of research um, as well as the technical as well that's really helped me a lot when it comes to working with developers and knowing what's possible
1: thank you so much Tarek. it was really insightful so if you could explain us in detail what are the process like that you followed because despite being all these factors people generally tend to get you know lost in choosing the right one for themselves. If you could explain the process in detail for us.
0: Yeah, happy to provide a little more insight there. So for me, the first thing I did was do my research. I think that's a lot easier said than done, especially when you're waving through all of the content that's out there on the web, all the different programs. And actually, since um, I I applied, I've seen even more programs pop up in the space, a lot more remote now that we're in this time where everyone is working from home or learning from home. So I would say go and do your research. And what I mean by that is take a look at all the programs that you're interested in and put them inside an Excel spreadsheet. I have one containing around 14 rows and a lot of different criteria and information related to the program. So I can give you a a sense of what I mapped out and and what I tracked. It was the school's name, the program name, whether it was a type of um, graduate program or if it was more of a certificate, if it was full-time or part-time, and then whether they required some type of standardized test. So earlier I mentioned Uh, GRE versus GMAT versus some of these other tests, some of them don't require it, some of them do. And for the ones that do, they require some type of minimum threshold. Um, So there might be some type of average score that they're looking for their students to hit. Um, So I believe the GRE is out of 340. So there's a verbal section and there's a quant section. So math and essentially English, right? And then for the application deadlines, you'll have to track whether or not um, it's a rolling basis or whether or not it's for specific uh, timelines in the year. So if there's a, I guess, fall semester, if there's a spring semester, you might have to uh, get your application in a few months beforehand so that they can review it and get back to you. Um, and then also figuring out the number of total classes or credits you want to take as part of that program. You don't want to be stuck in a master's program for 20 years. right? So you want, you want to be able to finish it quickly. You want to be able to learn things and be able to apply them at your job or find a job directly after you finish the, pro- the program. Um, and then, as I mentioned before, the flexibility to take it remote or in-person. For my program, um, it's really flexible. and allows you to do things both in-person as well as remote. So I like going into the uh, into the school and going into um, the university to network with other people and meet new people. I think it's definitely a little more personal and especially because master's programs tend to be more expensive. I think it's just more valuable if you're going in-person and networking and talking to other people as opposed to kind of just sitting at home on Zoom kind of just browsing the web while, while, while everyone is in class. Yeah, in addition to that, a lot of different additional comments around, I guess, what they're expecting to see when it comes to your GPA, how big the program is, um, any other type of information about what types of classes they offer. And I guess going back to my original point around figuring out what type of designer or what type of tech- technologist you want to be coming out of um, your program, whether you want to focus more on visual or research or even become a developer and work closely with that outside of the business, you really have to make that decision based off yourself. And most of these um, program sites will give you a sense of what type of titles people come out of the program with. Average salary, average job placement rates, and a lot of that stuff did not wasn't as applicable for me because I want to learn about a lot of different parts of the process. And I already had a full-time job. So for me, it was just really to augment all of the skills I have in my day-to-day. But aside from that, kind of just tracking the general names of contacts you should know at the program. So I did a lot of networking with the the guy, um, I should call him the professor, Professor Bill Gribbins at my program. Um, he, had, he and I had a really close chat at the very beginning when I first started out. Uh, just to figure out whether or not the program was right for me. Um, I was just out of my my undergrad program um, I just graduated college and for for that program in particular the one I'm in they required at least some type of minimum of three years of work experience and I actually hadn't reached that yet so I asked him I'm like hey like this is my situation I'm currently working at this company these are my degrees from undergrad this is my GPA like do you think I'm gonna be able to get in and he's like yeah like you're you're fine like as long as you're willing to put in the effort and learn I'm happy to have you in the program so networking is really important Uh, I think grad schools tend to be a little more informal than um, undergrad, especially in these programs, because they're more closely knit, uh, tightly knit, and there's a lot smaller. So you can actually reach out to individual professors and program directors and they'll get back to you. So a lot of a lot of good stuff there when it comes to networking and figuring out what you want and who you want to talk to.
1: Thank you, Derek. So if someone wants a scholarship, basically, so what are the things or procedures that one might do? And is there any scope of scholarship
0: for design schools out there? Yeah, I would say there are. Um, when it comes to graduate scholarships, I would say the the number of scholarships, um, and I'm not speaking based out of facts. This is just what I've seen when I started applying to different scholarships. I think the number of scholarships is definitely a lot lower for graduate students than undergraduate students, specifically for design. I think UX is one of those fields that I would say is still relatively new um, when it comes to kind of reaching the mass market of education. There still aren't dedicated undergraduate programs, aside from some of the the legacy programs and maybe like cognitive, I guess, uh, psychology, or I guess like other fields. Related to design, maybe even CS, or but if you really want to get into a dedicated design program, um, so for example, some of these programs I'm looking at around HCI or human factors or user centered design, I would say there aren't many uh, scholarships that speak directly to those type of programs, but rather you're going to be applying to generic scholarships um, across the whole, um, and that's going to be you're going to be competing with people from coming from different programs, either literature programs or even history masters or other things like that. So um, I would say if you're applying to scholarships and if you're in an uh, international student, I can't speak much to that aspect of it because I did uh, apply as a domestic student. I live in the States and I applied to schools only in the States. Um, there's other types of financial aid as well uh, for me because I was working a full time job. That salary was enough to cover a lot of the expenses I had coming out of college or what I would expect it to have to pay. Um, so I didn't get any type of financial aid. I did. Yeah. So I, I actually can't speak that much to the scholarship aspect of it. Um, I know some other people who did apply to those generic grad school scholarships and were able to land them. So I would say it doesn't hurt to apply to scholarships especially if you're exploring different uh, master's programs in the u.s i think it's a really good way to kind of learn more about the foundation of design and really um, kind of put yourself a leg up um, over some of the competitors and the people that you're applying against in the industry for, for these different jobs because i think the value of a master's degree really does hold some some weight some recommendations i would give to anyone who is exploring any type of education um, just do your due diligence i think right now especially in this hard economic climate it's it's hard to even justify spending $10,000, $20,000, even like $5,000 on any type of design program. And if there's no guarantee of a job, if uh, people are coming out of those programs with any type of, uh, I guess, skills that stand up to employers, and you're just seen as another, uh, I guess, boot camp graduate or another student coming out of the master's program, it's not worth it unless you really just want to learn. In which case, I would just recommend going online. I think everything I've learned in my master's program, I could probably figure out online. It's just that they walk you through such a structured, mannered approach. You're able to network with other students in the program. You get to network with the professors who in turn give you really good advice on the papers that you write, on the things that you design. Um, I think it's a really, really good way to kind of approach the job hunt as well as just learning about design from a different perspective because if you're learning online you don't get the same level of interaction that backing with some other students so as you're looking into these programs, just be cognizant that uh, a lot of these schools and boot camps are businesses they're out to get your money um, so you always just do your due diligence and, and just uh, figure out whether or not a program is right for you
1: thank you so much Derek so on a concluding note I would ask you to recommend us three favorite books of yours and also three people who inspire you the most in this ecosystem
0: yeah um, so I can start with the books first I would say the top three books um, the first one is uh, Articulating Design Decisions by Tom Creaver. Um That was a book I read really, really recently. I actually had to do a book report for that as part of my master's program. Um, and the best part about that book is that it really taught me how to work closely with different types of stakeholders in a business environment. Um, so it's really important, I think, as a designer because you're you're kind of seen as the glue that holds together a lot of different pieces of the organization. Um, you're building things that developers have to, to build. Um, you have to work pretty closely of product to figure out whether or not what you're designing meets product roadmap strategy or fits into the business goals. And then you're also working with users and customers and people who you're actually trying to design for. Um, so Tom Tom's book really gives you a good, def, uh, good insight and I guess in-depth insight into the process of working with these stakeholders and what you can do to get buy-in for your ideas, which is really important. Um, the second one I really like is Don Norman's book around emotional design. That taught me a lot about kind of like these emotions and uh, I guess other aspects of design that we don't really think about, especially when it comes to users using your product. There are a lot of unintentional consequences or things that people will immediately latch onto. So designing with that in mind is really useful. It's just a, a fascinating book in, in general because it, it talks about um, the cognitive system and, and how I guess the, the visceral, but the behavioral and the reflective part of design uh, of those emotions play into whatever you're building. And then the last book um, I would say is is one called Evil by Design. By Chris Knatter, that book is is really interesting because it examines unethical design or dark patterns from from the perspective of the seven deadly sins. So that he talks about greed and pride and envy and lust in there, and ties back a lot of interesting concepts to those sins and how you can design um, apps or products um, using dark patterns. And gives you even suggestions on how to do it, but ultimately whether it's ethical or whether or not that's something you actually want to do is up to you. So yeah, those three books have been really, really great. Um, another another thing I want to mention is Tom himself actually saw saw the book report I had created on his book. He reached out, I'm looking to do an episode with him very shortly on his uh, on, on a video, and as well as on a new book that he's writing. So it's just really been great kind of reaching out to people on LinkedIn about books that you've read, especially people who are so big in the UX ecosystem, having them reach back out and doing a, a collaboration with them there, so it's super exciting. Um, I would say the last person that in, inspires me is Christo. Um, he's the owner or the founder of the future which is a youtube channel that i think most designers probably know at this point there's a lot of different subscribers on on youtube but his channel covers a lot around freelancing around the business of design around i guess how much you should charge for different services um, actual design critique uh, figuring out who you want to be as a designer um, because i think a lot of people follow this traditional trajectory of i'm going to start out in school i'm going to go do my own thing um, for a bit and then join a company or vice versa and for him he really pushes creatives to jump out of their comfort zone and explore different avenues um, for financial freedom um, for figuring out what they want to do with design because there's just so many different facets just teaching you how to get better and how to network and how to be authentic I think there's a lot of branding stuff in there as well personal branding as well as just branding for companies as well so uh, he's a really really great speaker I definitely recommend people check his channel as well so
1: Thank you so much, Terek, for your time. And it was really wonderful
0: hosting you today on our show. Yeah, it was really, really great to be here. I really like the podcast um, and also uh, great talking with you as well. So thanks for the time.
1: Thank you for listening to this episode. And if this episode has helped you to gain better insights on design, then don't forget to share this with a friend or a colleague and be the part of the movement to democratize design. And also, if you like this episode, don't forget to rate us on whatever platform you're listening on.